On today's Sunshine Economy, the pandemic put a priority on child care. The cost of care has kept some parents from going back to work as daycare centers struggle to find workers. It's tough because we can't get the staff and we have to sometimes turn kids away because we can't have the staff to take care of the child. Businesses are starting to look at what do my employees who are working parents need to get to work. I'm Tom Hudson. Child care, daycare, preschool, it goes by many names, and it's pivotal to help working parents return to work. If we don't open, mom can't go to work. If we're not here, the parents don't have a way to find to go to their job. It's ahead on the Sunshine Economy. Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening this week. Jessica Wood was doing what many working parents do when we spoke with her. She was driving to work. Her drive is south along the overseas highway in the Lower Keys. Wood teaches AP Biology at Key West High School. I have two small children and a last fishing guide for a husband. While Wood was on her way to her classroom, her husband was out on the flats fishing with customers. Their three-year-old child was in daycare, and their youngest, almost one, was at home with a hired caregiver. They call her Abuela. And when there's a problem with child care, it often falls to Wood because of the nature of her husband's job. Trips booked with customers who pay only if they get out on the water fishing. I need to take off if we can't have child care. Which happened last week when we spoke. My um, son brought home a stomach bug that swept through his school. I guess there were like 15 out of 50 kids that that were there that past Friday. And then my daughter ended up getting it, and then Abuela ended up getting it. So I had to stay home yesterday, and I was sick myself on Monday with it. (laughs) So I had to call in basically two days um, and miss work. Um, because I didn't have care for her. Wood's experience is pretty common for working parents. Child care, daycare, preschool, early learning, it goes by a lot of names. It can dictate whether a parent is available to work or not. We'll check in with Wood throughout this program as we explore how the COVID-19 pandemic has renewed attention on the child care industry, the role it plays in the economy, and the challenges for operators in a tight job market. The child care community at the beginning of the pandemic suffered its own blows. This is Noreen Dollard. She's Florida Director of Kids Count, which tracks data on the well-being of children. She's also a senior analyst with the Florida Policy Institute. People you know, not being able to get to work with uh, child care providers, not being able to either stay open, keep their doors open, um, or stay open at capacity. That was two years ago. Child care facilities were identified as essential, especially to provide services for first responders as COVID-19 began spreading and health care workers were needed. Yet the facilities also had to operate with rules designed to slow the spread of the virus before there were any vaccines or treatments. Child care is a business that is really has a very thin profit margin. It's primarily women. Women have children. 
um, children who also need child care. So there's things happening from a lot of different directions. Today, child care facilities in Florida can operate at their licensed capacity and jobs have returned. In South Florida, child care employment grew by more than 5% between May of 2019, before the pandemic, and May of 2020, when schools were still out and before there were vaccines for adults. This is the latest data from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Now, during that same time span, daycare employment nationwide fell by more than 20%. Wages have been rising for child care positions, up 20% in 2020 from a year earlier. Still, the medium wage is below $14 an hour. It remains low considering the cost of living, making it difficult to find child care workers. You see help wanted signs everywhere. It's extremely difficult to find people to work. Child care uh, has historically not been a very high paying job. It's a very rewarding job and we're really <laughs> grateful to the people who do it. Um, but it's not a lucrative occupation by any means. So there's people who aren't seeking jobs in the same way that they were um, before the pandemic. While the overall job market has bounced back from the pandemic depression, there are still fewer jobs today and fewer people available to work in South Florida than before the pandemic. The labor force in March was 1% smaller than the month before COVID-19 led to restrictions. Now, that may not seem like a lot, but in South Florida, that's more than 50,000 fewer people in the job market. Statewide, men are back at work in the same numbers as before the pandemic, but not women. They're juggling uh, child care and work at the same time. You know, the child care burden in families even at this juncture, tends to fall predominantly on women. So where childcare is not available or affordable, women, they're not returning to the labor force in the same numbers that men are uh, because of their caregiving responsibilities. So um, it's still really slow to, to catch up. That's especially true for Black women in Florida. The latest data is from last year. It shows the number of black women in the job market and the number of black women working in the state were still down 2% from pre-pandemic levels, even with the broader job recovery. The people who have suffered the worst from the pandemic, um, whether it's from disease or because they uh, work in low-wage um, industries, you know, are people of color, they're poor people who are struggling to you know, make sure their kids were taken care of in a healthy and safe environment to begin with. And they are the ones who um, continue to struggle with this and who are having to make the choice about going to work or not going to work in order to care for their children. And they do that at higher rates than other families. What are those families struggling with economically? They are um, women and people of color are the folks that are in low-wage jobs to begin with. So there are definitely financial struggles. Right now, it's no secret um, about housing and how difficult it is for families to make ends meet, or, you know, to be able to pay their rent or mortgage. And there's a lot of insecurity among Florida families um, to this date about whether or not they'll be able to make their next rent or mortgage payment. So families are being uh, stretched 
really thin and then there's you know supply chain and you can't get things and things uh food prices are um creeping up and up and up so the 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 strains on families um uh, are are increasing not decreasing i would say dollard says the prepayment of the child tax credit last year helped low-income families but that money stopped with the new year other COVID stimulus plans helped direct money to child care subsidies. Rising wages for workers also are helping, but they aren't keeping pace with overall inflation. Child care needs are not going away, and the cost of child care are just unsustainable. You know, they cost more than going to college in some cases. So we need to expand these resources to support our families if we really want this economic rebound to keep going. You are listening to The Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Each Monday, we examine the stories and hear voices of people shaping South Florida's economy. Email us, sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. Sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. Still to come, we visit a small daycare center as it balances child care with the economy. My center, being as small as it is, can't afford to compete with um, Burger King or McDonald's is paying maybe 13 we find ourselves in a rut. It's like it's hard for us. I'm Tom Hudson. We're back on the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks for listening. Cars, trucks, buses, motorcycles, all speeding by on Northwest 27th Avenue, creating the constant rumble of traffic, punctuated by the occasional semi-truck passing. But inside a small, squat, concrete block building painted blue, it's nap time. If you listen closely, you can hear the rhythm of a small group of three- and four-year-olds breathing in and out as they sleep in the middle of their day. The lights are off, and they're laying down on little green cots wrapped up in their own blankets. Just around the corner and down the hall are the one-year-olds. They get a little music to help them nap. The classroom is decorated in Rugrats posters from the cartoon that was originally on the Nickelodeon channel. The toys are all put away. The lights are off. There are six of them in this room. There's one stirring. Yeah, he's, he's trying to... <laughs> oh, my God. They're just a dog. We love them. Yeah. A little further down are the infants. There are two of them in their cribs, one about six months old and a four-month-old. She's sleepy and a little upset, too. It's nap time at One World Learning Center in North Miami-Dade County. It was Monday in late April when we visited. Twenty-three children were there, ranging in age from four months to four years old. That's about half the number of children the center usually cares for. The owner and director, Antoinette Patterson, says attendance is usually a little lighter on Mondays. So when Monday comes, 
Some of the kids are still crying because they really want to stay home with their parents. And then some of them sick or some of them get injured. And so Mondays are our slowest day, but come Tuesday, everybody comes yeah. back in. Patterson prefers to be called Miss Antoinette by the kids and their parents. She's run her daycare at this location on Northwest 27th Avenue since 2015. She started the business of caring for kids almost 20 years ago. She's been through economic recessions, hurricanes, and now a global pandemic. What has business been like in the last year or so? If I had to sum it up, like in one word, I would say chaos. We were talking in her office. The center was still quiet around us as nap time continued. There was the hum of the security camera system coming from the corner of the room. And it's not chaos in the sense that we don't know what we're doing in our child care center. But when the world changes, it changes us. It happened suddenly more than two years ago with a mad rush for masks, gloves, cleaning supplies, everyone clamoring for protective gear and information. Workers sent home, students sent home. What do we do? What about our children? What about our teachers? What about the parents? What if they come in? What if, oh, do we have the necessary, do we have the right resources? Do we have the right equipment to handle what just been thrown at us? The world was in topsy-turvy. It's just like crazy. Those early days and months of chaos have given way to awareness, vaccines, and treatments. Early on, child care centers were encouraged to stay open. They were among those deemed essential workers in Florida. Schools, restaurants, and bars were ordered closed, but not child care facilities. We had to stay open because they said we were essential, which we were because you still got police workers. You still got the nurses got to work. The doctors got to work. The correctional officers. We still had parents that had those careers. Tens of millions of dollars were included in the first federal COVID emergency spending package for children in Florida. One World Learning Center also secured several emergency loans and grants, including a $133,000 emergency injury disaster loan from the Small Business Administration. It also received two Paycheck Protection Program loans, each about $17,000. Both of those have been forgiven. The business secured a separate $6,000 grant from the Small Business Administration, too. How would you describe operations today now as we're in the third year of the pandemic? More smoother. The, um, we figured it out. They start lightening up the rules, if you will. Such as no more six feet apart. She says the young children never really kept their masks on anyway. After all, they're young kids. One of the pandemic changes that has stuck around, though, is not allowing parents inside the building. We don't allow parents in the school. I said, and I'm sorry that you guys had to drop your kids off at the door, but guess what safety did? It helped us to stay open. And they said, oh, so you are open. And they was really, really happy when COVID hit. Oh, you still open? Oh, Miss Anthony, oh my God, because I got to go to work. And people, bringing the, people kept bringing their kids because they trusted me enough to know that I meant to keep their kids safe. And that was my goal. Patterson stresses safety inside and outside. When parents drop off their children, it's the first and largest word painted on the front of the building. The mural depicts a teacher leading a group of kids by the hand toward the door. The first boy is holding a balloon with the word safety on it. We are here to provide a safe environment for your child. And I keep emphasizing that word safe because what I've been through, right? When she was a new mom, her 18-month-old son was in daycare when there was an accident. His tongue was almost cut off. He healed, and Patterson opened her own daycare, first in Opalaka. 
Today, One World Learning Center is in a zip code where just over half of the households make less than $50,000 a year, according to Census Bureau data. That's a few thousand dollars less than the average household income in the county. The area is about 70% black. The younger the child, the more expensive the child care cost is, starting around $250 per week for babies at this center. Most of the parents sending their children to the center qualify for a subsidized fee. Attendance is still down since before the pandemic, but the subsidized fee was increased early during COVID-19. That has helped Patterson raise the hourly pay for her teachers. We are having to compete with workers because now it's a demand for employees all over. So my center being as small as it is, can't afford to compete with um, Burger King or McDonald's is paying maybe 13. We find ourselves in a rut. It's like, it's hard for us. Tell me a little bit about some of the effort that you've put into finding workers. Um, I advertised on ZipRecruiter, Indeed.com. I went to a temp agency they were booked because everybody needed teachers. I um, offered bonus. What was the bonus you offered? $600 starting bonus. Still didn't get no bites. We would schedule interviews. They wouldn't show up. Um, some people wanted more than what we could afford. What is the starting wage for you? For right here, I try to start between 12 and 13 an hour. That's the most. And I say, okay, I can give you holidays. You get vacation. I can give you sick days. I can't offer you health and dental. They still, some of them don't show up. We would have interviews that were people to apply. No show up, no show. Couldn't compete. For parents, qualifying for a subsidized fee, federal grant dollars pick up almost half of that hourly rate. As we were talking, a basket of papers on her desk included results from background checks of a job applicant. Patterson says she's hopeful whenever she sees the email come back with the results. <laughs> eligible to work. <laughs> I hope you're eligible because we really need help. And if they're not, we got to start that process all over again. And that delays a whole lot of things. If your name begins with T, come sit down. Nap time was the over. What? The, the children put away their blankets and cots, and they had had their afternoon snack of yogurt, pineapple, and milk. Now it was play circle time for the three- and four-year-olds as their teacher, Ms. Peaches, called them to come to the area. A student poured out a pile of plastic shapes for each to play with. The shapes had different colors and interlocking notches. They decided today they'd make diamonds. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Check out our podcast by searching Sunshine Economy. Be sure to hit subscribe. Still to come, the cost of child care. The child care industry is not like other industries where they can just raise their prices. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening and supporting public radio. Do you remember Jessica Wood? 
My name is Jessica Wood, and I live on Sugarloaf Key in the Florida Keys. We heard from her earlier in the program as she was driving down the overseas highway to her job one morning. Um, I'm currently a high school teacher. Her husband is a flats fishing guide, and both of them were at work the day we talked. They have two young children. One is in daycare. The other is almost one and stays at home with a caregiver. Yeah, I may be spending, let's see, um, it's about 800 a month for both of them. So 1600 a month for child care. And maybe I make, I bring home, let's just say, 3000 a month. After benefits and taxes, she brings home about $3,600 a month. So almost half of her paycheck from being a high school AP biology teacher goes to pay for child care. But it's still money that we need, you know, on top of that. And of course, you lose your time with your, your kids. The cost of child care is one of those barriers for some parents. And it's complicated, especially for more formal daycare settings. One of the challenges that we have in child care is that it is oversimplified. It happens over and over again. This is Avilio Torres. He is the CEO of the Early Learning Coalition of Miami-Dade and Monroe Counties. Just child care is just a place where someone can place their child while they work or while they go to school, and it's so much more complicated than that. There are 30 early learning coalitions across Florida with geographic responsibilities. They are nonprofits set up under Florida law using state and federal dollars to provide preschool services for low-income families. There's a lot of professional development that takes place. There's emotional support that is needed in the classroom, uh, instructional support that is so important, particularly for you know children that come from high-risk situations, and we have a lot of those, whether you know, it's, it's a child that has gone through a difficult situation or a family that may be economically disadvantaged. It's a lot more complicated. Families qualify for financial help depending upon size and income. The subsidies are reimbursements to an approved child care facility based upon level of care, usually determined by the age of the child. It's highest for infants and special needs children. And the reimbursements are only paid for the days the child attends. The reimbursement rate is around $30 a day, meaning higher licensing standards and quality performance incentives can raise the reimbursement rates. There was too much disparity uh, throughout Florida. We have 67 counties, and and, and in each area, the payment rate was different. So if you are fortunate enough in in one county to have sufficient funding um, to increase uh, reimbursement rates, Miami-Dade County had very, very low reimbursement rates. For years. Where is the child care industry in South Florida not serving the market, coming up short for what working parents need? That immediately translates into what, what children need, right? Working parents want a safe and nurturing environment for their children, but also a program where children are learning, right? Getting them ready for kindergarten. These are pre-K programs. So I think where we are falling short is that this churn that we have of turnover because it's very difficult for our programs right now because competing with retail and restaurants, for instance, and the entire uh, service industry is very difficult for them to retain their, their qualified staff. So anytime that you have that level of turnover in a program, it's going to impact the, the learning environment, right? So I think that's where we're coming up short. We need some stability in uh, our workforce. And the way to get that stability is to pay uh, a competitive wage which a lot of our providers, I'm talking about going from $13 an hour to maybe $16, $17, $18 an hour. Uh, part of the challenge that we have in this industry is that it is 
still referred to as child care, right? This is early learning. There's a lot of learning that takes place. What has demand been like for the subsidized care? Demand is high across the state. The challenge that we're having right now is that because employers are paying higher wages, so some parents are not qualifying right now for the subsidized program. There's an income threshold. So it's a catch-22, right? We need to be able to uh, get those parents to apply, but those parents are not making a little bit more money. It's what we call the benefits cliff. The cliff is if a parent gets a raise or a new job with a higher paycheck, but they may no longer qualify for public assistance, like child care subsidy, but they're still not making enough money to afford the care on their own. To receive the early learning subsidy in South Florida, a family of four can make about $40,000. In Miami-Dade County, we do not have a waiting list. In other parts of the state, there are waiting lists. And the reason for that uh, is largely due in some areas to not having enough child care capacity. Again, it's hard to attract new programs to come into an industry where the wages are so low. Um, so so it's uh, sometimes they have difficulty. They may have the, the funding to serve the families, but they may not have the childcare uh, slots available. In Miami-Dade, that's not an issue. We do have sufficient capacity to serve children. The biggest issue that we have right now is we don't have enough families that are qualifying for the program. How do you describe the state of the childcare industry in South Florida today, three years into this pandemic? Many, many challenges. Uh, you know, the primary challenge is they, they cannot recruit and retain sufficient staff. This is a industry with margins that are very, very uh, small, right? So you have, they're just not making a lot of money. And right now they're competing with Starbucks. They are competing uh, with uh, retail, uh, with restaurants. And it's very difficult. And the childcare industry is not like other industries where they can just raise their prices. It's gotten more expensive. So now we're going to raise our prices. So that's that's very difficult because some families will elect if if they're charged 10 or $15 more, they will elect to leave the child at home with a relative or with a friend. It's a big challenge and, and recruitment and retention is one of the biggest challenges that we have. How does the system address those shortcomings, those economic shortcomings, particularly as it relates to wage in, a, in an economy where unemployment is historically low, the demand for talent in so many different industries uh, is, is so high and wages are rising pretty quickly in some cases. It's a real challenge. And right now, we, we have been looking at the, the actual cost of care. Uh, what does it actually cost our childcare industry to care for those children? And not only to care for them, but to also educate them and do a great job. And it's much more than the subsidy program is paying. The, the state legislature has been doing a relatively good job over the last few years trying to increase what we are able to pay as far as reimbursement rates. Uh, when, we, when we give a parent a voucher, they then select a program that they, they can take their child to, and then we reimburse that program for the, you know, the cost of caring for that child. But we have been trying to improve rates. In the 2022 legislative session, the legislature made a, a, made a couple of significant uh, changes uh, to, to state policy. One uh, big improvement is that uh, we are now able to pay all providers across the county the same reimbursement rate, um, regardless of the areas that they serve. So we were typically paying or reimbursing based on market rates. So those providers in the lower income areas were getting paid less. 
effective July the 1st, everyone is going to get paid the same rate. Will that raise wages? Well, that's, that's an interesting question. It will raise our reimbursement rate. It is now up to those childcare providers if they want to retain their staff to raise wages. Now, they're not going to be, ra- be raising these wages significantly. Um, you know, Starbucks is paying a lot more than we're paying in, in, in childcare, right? So when minimum wage is going up to $15 an hour, and I'm sure you've heard this before, uh, you have employees that may have been working there for three years, well, you're not going to continue to pay that employee $15 an hour if you're paying new ones, the new ones, the same, the same wage. So, you know, it's a domino effect. Um, and I can tell you, there's not a lot of childcare providers right now, particularly in the lower income areas that are able to pay $15 an hour. It's more like $13 an hour. This is a low wage, low growth industry, right? So there's just not a lot of growth, uh, both in wages and in, in programs, new programs coming in. The other major change that was, was a policy change in the uh, 2022 session is that instead of local early learning coalition setting payment rates or reimbursement rates for the subsidized program, the state is going to be setting the reimbursement rates effective July 1st to try to achieve some equity across the state. That's Avilio Torres, CEO of the Early Learning Coalition in Miami-Dade and Monroe Counties. You're listening to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Be sure to sign up for the podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app by searching Sunshine Economy. Each Monday, we examine the stories and hear voices of people shaping South Florida's economy. Be sure to listen to the BBC News Hour Tuesdays through Fridays at 9 a.m. to hear stories and voices from around the globe. Still to come, the evolving role companies are playing with childcare. Childcare support and flexibility were really key to to employee loyalty and. That is what the workforce is increasingly demanding. I'm Tom Hudson. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks for listening and supporting public broadcasting. One day last week, we caught up with Jessica Wood just after she left her almost one-year-old at home with the caregiver and dropped her three-year-old off at daycare. Wood was driving along the overseas highway to Key West, where she's a public school biology teacher. Her husband is a flats fisherman and was out on the water with clients. His work schedule, it's a bit erratic based on customers and weather and the fishing season, while her schedule is set. Like many working parents, if one of their children gets sick, like they did last week, they have to juggle. That's the other struggle, I think, for parents is that, you know, sometimes they don't have bosses that are very understanding, and they bring their kids to the school sick because they have to go to work. Um, and, you know, that is the choice. Wood had to stay home when her child and child caregiver got sick. She said she had run out of time off at work. In the grand scheme of things, for me, I'm only, you know, maybe I'll miss a hundred bucks or something like that on the paycheck, which isn't a lot of money, but at the same time, you know, it's a gas tank. So let's just say if I miss one day, two days, you know, something like that, I don't know. It just, I haven't done the math because, to be honest, I haven't really (laughs) wanted to look. 
In the tight job market, wages are rising and companies are looking to stand out in the competition for workers. That may include the role companies play in child care. Madeline Tacor is president of the Children's Movement of Florida, a nonprofit supporting early childhood education and health. Businesses are starting to look at what do my employees who are working parents need to get to work. We've had a conversation about early learning and business for at least the last five or six years in Florida, and it's been about talent for the next generation. You know, what does it take to get uh, a future workforce that has the skills we need? You know, children learn how to communicate and, and cooperate and all of these social emotional skills, they develop that in preschool. And so businesses who are saying, hey, I don't have the right talent to hire, they were looking uh, at their education priorities and starting earlier in, in the early learning and preschool years to say, this is where we need to get it right. I think what happened during the pandemic is we've seen it's about the work workforce of today and the workforce of tomorrow. So this is what our, our parents need to get to work. So this is interesting, thinking about companies approaching childcare as talent development, not as a uh, necessity for an employee to be able to have the best performance while at work. Right. And I think it's just really important whenever we talk about childcare that we talk about both of those things, that we talk about the workforce of today and how parents need a healthy and safe place for their children to be while they go to work and the workforce of tomorrow, because we know this is really the beginning of the education continuum. This this is not babysitting. This is brain building that happens in those earliest years. How has the pandemic reshaped how parents, especially those of young children, who oftentimes are the customers, so to speak, of childcare, how they think about work and employee policies of the companies that they're working for? I think it's clear when you talk about something like the Great Resignation and just the the trends of what employers are hearing from their employees, there is a much greater focus on what we might uh, we maybe used to call it work-life balance, but it's it's just all the ways that your work intersects with the rest of your life. And parents are saying, you know, if if I don't have a, a place to put my children uh, that I know is going to be safe and stimulating and nurturing, then I might make a, dis- a different decision. I might want to be home with them. Uh, especially the youngest children. And I want a workplace that offers more flexibility. And we are seeing a job market where the the employee has that choice. And there are so many openings for remote work these days uh, that there there is an opening for employees to demand more in terms of benefits and, and flexibility. And, you know, we at the Children's Movement did a survey last year of working parents. And what we found is that childcare support and flexibility were really key to, to employee loyalty. And that is what the workforce is increasingly demanding. And so how is that changing the conversation internally inside companies about employee benefit packages in an environment of low unemployment, of rising wages, of higher inflation, 
of stiff competition and still admit a, admit a pandemic. There were a lot of professions that we called essential during the pandemic, and these were the, the jobs that people could not do from their homes. And you saw a number of industries shift and realize how much work could be done from home. And so I think what you're seeing now is that among, among those roles that, that are really in-person um, jobs, you are seeing demands from the workforce that, you know, we're, we're willing to come to work but you've got to meet these higher wages and and we want to see other kinds of benefits. We want to see flexibility in schedules. We want to see supports for healthcare and childcare. And because of the competition, you're 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 going to increasingly see movement in that direction. And and the other thing that that happened is where it might have been culturally sort of a question before of an employer might say, well, can I offer this flexibility? People are going to take advantage of this. And the pandemic was a forced experiment that that showed employers, no, actually, this is good for productivity. Uh, employ, employees are reporting that they felt more in control of everything that comes up in their day, in their work and their family, when they were able to just juggle that time a little more independently. And I think there was sort of a shortcut to the trust that many more jobs can be done remotely or part-time remotely. The Children's Movement of Florida conducted a survey in late 2020, uh, right at the time when vaccines were just beginning, right, but yet not far from uh, widely distributed. And you found that three out of four black parents of younger children had childcare issues impacting their jobs at a far greater rate than Hispanic or white parents here in South Florida. Why do you think that was? As we have seen um, that many Black and Hispanic working parents are in jobs, you know, that, that are more essential. You see it also between mothers and fathers that, that women are more affected by this. And what, what this says to me is that offering increasing flexibility is key to diversifying the workforce. If, if you're seeing that working parents are, do not see themselves as welcome in your organization, then you're missing an important perspective. And if you're not offering the, the kind of flexibility and supports that working parents need, then you're gonna see that, that dynamic in the workforce shift. What are some of the company policies, specific policies that are being used here in South Florida to address child care challenges? The first one is flexibility. Um, the second would be paid time off. Um, and that that could be for the birth of a new child or adoption of a new child. It could also be for care of a sick family member. Um we we also look at things like predictable scheduling or advanced scheduling when a family has advanced notice to make those childcare arrangements as opposed to being called at the last minute for a shift. Uh, and so some of these things you think about paid time off might have a, a cost to an organization, something like uh, predictive scheduling or, or changing the 
the times of meetings to meet the the demands of working parents those are free it's it's all about the culture that you create and the the kind of environment you want to create and how supportive you might be of parents how has the pandemic impacted how parents think about childcare and employment do you think what it has done is brought the concerns that parents have always had up to the forefront the burdens that parents carry to make sure their their kids are are taken care of received a spotlight in the pandemic. This is another piece of the education continuum that is not just about a healthy and safe place for, for your children to be. There's a lot of learning that happens there. That's Madeline Takor. She's president of the Children's Movement of Florida. You're listening to The Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Each Monday, we examine stories and hear voices of people shaping South Florida's economy. You can catch up on past episodes by subscribing to our podcast. Just search Sunshine Economy on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to leave a review while you're there. Thanks. And be sure to listen for the BBC News Hour Tuesdays through Fridays at 9 a.m. to hear stories and voices from around the globe. Still to come on this program, how one child care center is responding to the challenges. If we don't open, mom can't go to work. If we're not here, the parents don't have a way to find to go to their job. I'm Tom Hudson. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks for listening. The child care industry is pivotal for parents being able to work and for early learning of children. As an industry, it's struggling to compete for workers. Emily Alvarez sees this firsthand at the preschool in West Kendall, where she has worked for more than 30 years. I am Annie Lou Alvarez. I am the director of the Creative Learning Center, which is on the grounds of Central Presbyterian Church. We have 25 classrooms, but right now operating, we have 22 classrooms. We have three closed due to lack of staff, lack of staffing, and uh, which started all when the pandemic started. Hello, boys and girls. Hello. Hi. Hi, how are you? Are you busy playing? So we started the school year with a lot of setbacks, a lot of setbacks, a lot of illnesses, but that taught me myself to change the business pattern, to change our business plan, to continue to rebrand myself as what we are, learning through play. We're going to be hands-on. We're going to experiment. We're going to do studies. So we've maintained our group, our school, to 200 and. 59 children. We're good, we're good, we're good. Hello, Sophie. Hello. Hello, everybody. We just wanted to check on you. We just wanted to make sure you're having fun. Okay? Hi. My assistant director was hospitalized. Uh, she's been out for two weeks. Um, she ended up in the hospital with COVID and uh, the Omicron vi- the variant. And um, she hopefully she'll be back with us on Monday. 
But still, it was difficult. And then from there, we had an assistant in the afternoon and then another teacher on the pre-K. Then, of course, we have to ask the children from the pre-K class to stay home until they get tested. There, I fear, are finances because we get paid for VPK by attendance, not by enrollment. So if the child is missing those five days, I'm not going to get paid for those five days. So that's where it really is difficult for us to navigate this. It has been difficult for us to navigate. Right now, I currently have 43 staff. I've had, when I have the school full, it's 56. Um, my office is down to just myself. My office manager, which is also my financial, she's also my uh, VPK coordinator, she's also my assistant. She's also everything. She's a little bit of everything. She can't leave me because she's my daughter. So she's. <laughs> And then, of course, my assistant, Miss Alina, which is ill right now, she takes care of the coordinating of the curriculum. She oversees our curriculum. So, um, really, we are usually 56. Now we're 43. We lost um, two, three veteran teachers that did not come back from the pandemic because they felt they just weren't safe. So, now one of them came back. So, another one wants to return. So we're hoping that we can recuperate those two. And I know that there's a lot of young talent out there. I know that there's a lot of young talent that's looking for a place to work. And I know that every child care center is in the same position. But we have to keep positive and we have to believe that they're going to seek us out. We're blessed that my teachers have been here for so long. I have teachers that have been with me here 30 years. I've been here for 32 years. There's teachers that have been here. My kindergarten teacher has been here for 20-something. Uh, I mean, all of them have been here for a while. I have teachers that were students here that have come back. I do provide um, uh, bonuses. I provide different things that will incentive them to continue. And we do want to set up something so that we can do sign-in bonuses so that when they sign on, we can give them the ones that are going to stay, which everyone has told me they're staying because I've already done my employment agreements. So everyone is going to be staying for next year, but then also get, give them a little bit of incentive. Thank you for staying. This is a little something. I do feel that we here um, are very fair pay, but it's never going to be worthy wage. Not for child care workers. We are... We have, we're called essential, but we are obviously, for the wages part, it's not really a wage that is a living wage. Some of my teachers are the sole providers in their houses. So, and uh, the wage that we're paying is nothing that could provide just for them, in the, that they could provide for themselves. So, I mean, I have young girls, young teachers that are telling me I'm going to be going to, um, I want to open, I want to get my own apartment. And I think, yeah, they can't, there's no way. So they get a second job. So they leave, they work here, they're eight hours, and then at night they have a second job. I think we do have our, our hurdles. We do have these uh, obstacles that we're facing with the COVID. Uh, one day shows up here, one day shows up there. It cannot be that we have to close down for five days. It cannot be that we have to, we can't afford that. We can't afford to close down anymore. We have to stay and we have to work through it. 
I think a lot of people have realized that we're the economic engine. We, if we don't open, mom can't go to work. If we're not here, the parents don't have a way to find to, to go to their job. I'm looking at a positive future. I really am looking at a positive 22-23 school year. We've already started registering for next year, and we have more children registered than what we presently have. I think we have to remember that we have to think positive, and we have to think that we're going to make it. And if we've made it this far, we're going to make it, and we have to be here for the families. That's Emily Alvarez and the children at the Creative Learning Center in West Kendall. Be sure to sign up for the podcast of this program by searching Sunshine Economy, subscribe, and leave a review. Follow WLRN on social media. You'll find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for WLRN. And you can always get in touch with the program by emailing sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. Our email address is sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. Joe Johnson is our technical director. Polly Landis is our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. WLRN Public Media.